Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah. Get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. What's going on, everybody? This is the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with my uh, my, my partner in crime, Brock Landis. This time, I'm donning a uh, a sweatshirt. I see it's pretty hot for a sweatshirt, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But you know what, Austin? I stay cool. I, I dictate the temperature of my body. So if I don't want to sweat, I don't sweat. At the hop oh. on fresh for the podcast. So that's, that's how it works. Know, okay. First impressions matter. I don't know who's tuning in for the first time, but if they are. Your boy has to look good. Fair enough. I, I get way too hot, so I'm like, I gotta like constantly take a shirt, take a shirt off, put a shirt on. It, it, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, Sixers hosted their first scrimmage in Oklahoma City or against Oklahoma City. That will be the second scrimmage, and this time it was against the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, in Orlando, um, and <laughs> it, it got off to another fast start. Uh, no, no, Joel, no, uh, Neto. I don't know how you're going to win without Neto, but you're going to have to try. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, before we begin, to the viewers coming in, if you want to ask a question, you want to leave a comment, what, you know, you want us to talk about something, please let us know in the comments. We're happy to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. That's why we do it. Um, but to get back to the game. So Horford started, obviously, in place of Joel Embiid and – I want to start out with him because I thought he played a really, really good game. He, uh, first of all, only one turnover. He was a plus 17 with nine rebounds and 13 points in 23 minutes. Um, He made four of his five three-point attempts. And I thought he looked spry and kind of like reverting back to his youth, if you will, with the Celtics. And um, I, I thought that a lot of that was facilitated by his early defensive energy against the, against the Thunder. He smothered um, Stephen Adams a couple times, forced the jump ball into the rim, and you know caused the Thunder to have to burn a timeout because he was pressuring Adams and making him uncomfortable in the half court. So I thought that that sort of reinvigorated him and sort of engaged him and injected some life into his game. And then you, you know what you know he's knocking down four or five from deep. Yeah, another encouraging thing about Al Horford was he was playing the point god for a couple of possessions. Uh, (laughs) That's too generous, but he was handling the basketball up the court. He was moving. He looked spry, and we talked last episode about Al Horford potentially batting through an injury the first duration of the season, and he looks healthy in my opinion. Now, the problem with fans' perception of Al Horford is that if he is the primary floor spacer or your primary catch-and-shooter, he should be doing that, and in the first half of the season, he didn't do that too well, but this is something that factored into Philadelphia's signing of Al Horford. His shot selection took a drastic change in 2016, whereas it was predominantly mid-range field goal attempts 2009, 2010, all the way up into 2016. In 16 through 2019, it was a lot of attempts from 25 to 29 feet. And Philadelphia signed Al Horford under the impression that he can make that shot and he would be able to spot up and catch and shoot. Of course, he didn't do that perfectly throughout the first half of the season, but if he can do what he did today for Philadelphia, that's an added bonus. We keep talking about these added bonuses. There was plenty of reasons why everybody foresaw Philadelphia succeeding, and they unfortunately under-succeeded, they, they, they underperformed. but Al Horford's shooting was one of those factors. If Al Horford can knock down those shots, 
and get comfortable around the perimeter, it opens up this offense because, A, it's another shooter on the floor to space the floor out, but also, B, you're pulling your five away from the paint. So the paint's not going to be packed. It leaves more room for players like Tobias, Shake Milton, and Ben Simmons to operate. So very encouraged by Al Horford and Austin, something you'll like. Didn't even have to calculate it on my own. Al Horford's true shooting percentage was above 80% today, one of the first times this season he was knocked down. And, Austin, you're a big uh, TS percent guy, so I know you'd like that. They, they do call me true shooting percentage Elliot, right? TS Elliot. <laughs> I just someone on Twitter with that name, too. I forget who it is. But, um, yeah, now, um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an excellent mark of efficiency for Al. I thought he just looked kind of like returning to normal. Now, I, I do think that there is something to be said with the fact that it was it came with Embiid not being able to play. So it's sort of like not saying he plays badly because of Joel Embiid, but whether that's sort of a, of another clue that look they really can't fit together. Um, let's let's jump over to Ben Simmons. Twenty six minutes for for Ben. Almost had another triple double. 14, 11, and nine was a plus twenty one. Did have five turnovers though. Um, he didn't attempt any jumpers, and I thought it was weird because in the role that he was playing in the first game, it was enter the ball into the post, dive to the corner, and space it out. And then if they if they kick it, if they if they if they make a pass to you and you're open, shoot it. He was initiating a lot of the plays from like the high post area, which is going to inherently, I guess, compress and restrict the space on the perimeter, and it was sort of the the opposite of what you're trying to do. And it didn't make a lot of sense to me because Al Horford and, and Joel Embiid can be used sort of similarly. It's not like one's a back-to-the-basket only center and the other one the other one, you know, can shoot it. They both can shoot it. They both can sort of play a face-up game. that You can play them five out or four out, one in, and then have Ben dive to the corner in a similar look. I mean, don't you want to get Ben those reps in that type of offense and, make, and get him – acclimated to that if you're going to use that and if you're if not then what why are you using it it's not going to work um you know it's not going to work in in, in a regular season situation because there's a lot more at stake you're not going to want to run an offense you're not comfortable with in a regular season game you're trying to get positioning for the playoffs um so that that was sort of an interesting thing to me but again i mean man ben simmons just continues to be by far the best player on the court he was the best player on the court first game he was the best player on the court today um and you know i, I think uh, above all else for for sixers fans forget about the jump shot the jump shot's whatever he looks really healthy and that's that that's at the core at the crux of things what's most important to this team besides the ability of joel and to dominate yeah you're right and ben simmons is one of if not the best player in transition in the NBA. If you couple that with aggressive uh, attack in the half court, Ben Simmons is merely unstoppable. And this is something that Al Horford talked about post game. Uh, good luck getting in front of Ben Simmons. And today he went to the free throw line seven times. He made four of those seven free throw attempts. And that's something I like. You need an aggressive Ben Simmons to win. And in their previous two games against Oklahoma city this season, Ben Simmons had 16, 11 rebounds and eight assists. 17 points, 15 rebounds, and eight assists. He shot 60% altogether in both games, and the majority of his points came in the paint. So I assume that in this game, Ben Simmons was going to try to exploit guard mismatches if the guards were to switch on to him, but he was going to attack and penetrate in the paint because Oklahoma doesn't have that many great reinforcements defensively that they can put into the paint with the driving Ben Simmons or Ben Simmons in transition. So offensively, I was pleased with the seven free throws. His passing ability is unparalleled. And defensively, he continues to prove why he is the most versatile defender in the NBA, right? He can guard Danilio Gallinari. If he's not guarding him, he could guard Chris Paul. If he's not guarding Chris Paul, he can guard uh, Dennis Schroeder. If he's not guarding Dennis Schroeder, he can sneak on a Steven Adams for a few possessions. So really defensively, there's nothing Ben Simmons can't do. And I was also really encouraged with Matisse Dibble's defensive effort today. But – that was one of the reasons why yesterday I said Matisse Thibel could be so pivotal in a closing lineup because offensively you can sacrifice You're what right. Matisse Thibel does for his defensive impact. And he can stick on guys like Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder. He had Dennis Schroeder and Alcatraz the entire game. I mean, Dennis Schroeder only hit three shots, 10-plus attempts. So 
Defensively, I was very encouraged with this effort. And Austin, I think me and you can both tell fans it's okay. You can take a breath, relax. This is a scrimmage game. Philadelphia took their foot off the gas in the third quarter, right? So I'm not counting this as a win or a loss. We're just nitpicking certain things we could see throughout the game in which they may utilize in the next eight games. Yeah, and I, uh, I agree. I do agree. I do want to say this, though. It isn't like, you know, when people say they were playing the third stringers, it wasn't like it was Stephen Adams, uh, Chris Paul, Gallinari, um, um, uh, Shayildas Alexander, and whoever else. It was the Thunder's third stringers versus the Sixers' third stringers. And the Sixers' third stringers could not hang at all with the Thunder's third stringers. So, I mean, it's like, we yes, we know the depth is bad already. But the fact that, really, if, 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 if God forbid – um, you know, if, if anyone gets, gets, gets the virus or anyone gets hurt they're they, they fall into deep shit really fast because they don't have playable depth. Um, and a lot of these teams do have a second or third option that they can entrust and, uh, and rely on. Um, one thing I, 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 I wrote about this, you know, during the game, um, but Brett Brown in the opening couple possessions with Chris Paul and Steven Adams employed the drop coverage. He was using it. He was dropping out to the basket to defend the rim. And they were basically inviting Chris Paul to get into the lane. And, he, and Chris Paul is a, a Hall of Famer, super crafty, super skilled guy. And he converted two flo- two floaters with ease in the first like, two minutes of the game. They then, you know, then Billy Don calls a timeout after the six to go on a run. And then Brett Brown hedges the screen. And it worked. It, it, stunted, it stunted the play. Thunder couldn't, couldn't get Adams a look. Chris Paul had to be turned, you know, he had to be turned away. Then in the second quarter, they go back to dropping the coverage again. And then it's a couple Adams for a couple, couple oops for Adams. Why would you go back to the, to the, to the drop coverage? When are, when is it, what is it going to take? When are we going to, you know, look at the film and have that Eureka, like pull hair moment? Like it doesn't work. We can't do it. It, it, it. You know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous that they keep, employing this drop coverage. And honestly, I, you have to wonder how many games of Brett Brown's tenure have been lost that could have been won if they just changed that strategy up. Like, admit, it's like you know, it didn't work. It hasn't worked. It's in a bad – It's this is a bad era of NBA basketball to try to drop your big in a drop coverage pick and roll when you have – when every virtually 29 starting point guards in the NBA can shoot. It's it, it it's always been a nuisance to this team, even when they've been good, and they can't. They, you, know, you went away from it and it worked, and then you go back to it. Why would you go back to it? It it it, it, it was something that was like, I see it, and, I, and I'm like, you can't be serious. Is this a joke? And then I replayed it. I was like, yeah, no, they dropped the big again, and it, it was just sort of like it defied any kind of logic to me. Yeah, and in talking to some basketball minds, people suggest that the drop coverage would work because that's the type of shot that Philadelphia wants to bait their opponent into, and and that's why they come around screens the way they do and chase guards because they want to bait these guards into low low percentage mid-range looks. But the unfortunate thing with dropping in coverage too is that both A, if you have a floor spacing big or a guard that can get around the screen quick enough and, and there's no big out to help recover – that's a three-point shot that's usually cash every time from skilled three-point shooting guards. And the problem in doing it with a guard like Chris Paul or teams that have good role men like Jared Allen or Clint Capella is that guards will just penetrate deep enough where they can do two things that the opposing center can't do anything about. So Al Horford, if he even so much as comes up to defend Chris Paul, that's going to the role man in an alley-oop scenario or if it's a bounce pass, a drop-off pass, it's going to the role man. And if the center retreats far enough to stick with the role man, then like you just alluded to, Austin, the guard has a wide open floater or a pull-up mid-range jump shot. And from that range, like I said, it's probably going to go in. And this is one of the reasons why season in Brett Brown's tenure, Philadelphia has been bottom eight in opposing pick-and-roll ball handler points scored, which means they surrender the top eight most. And multiple years they've been top three. In the playoffs, they got exposed by Brooklyn. They surrender the most opposing pick-and-roll ball handler points. So it's a defensive philosophy that Brett Brown and Philadelphia has been stubborn to change. But the counterargument is that these are the type of shots that they want to bait opponents into. Me personally, 
I dislike this defensive philosophy, and it's a lot of playing on the hip of or behind of. It's playing catch-up defense, and uh, you know how I feel about that. I, I don't really like it, and that's why teams like Boston and Brooklyn have been so successful in the pick-and-roll against Philadelphia. Yeah, um, and I think the drafting of Matisse Thibel sort of allows Brett Brown to do that because Matisse is like a maestro at that mm-hmm. sort of tra- at trailing. You know, they pull up for a jumper, and he's there, and he's stuffing it back on top of them, and then they don't even realize it because right, he's right behind them. But it it, it, it endorses, and it's sort of it's it's good for that. He's, he's good for that kind of play, which kind of makes sense that you know why they wanted him so bad because they wanted to fit Brett Brown's scheme. Um, let's let, let's take a look at. Uh, Shake Milton and Josh Richardson. I thought Josh looked a lot better today. He was cutting better off ball, looked a little more in place, um, and you know he had four steals. Massive game uh, for that. One turnover and 23 minutes played. So, you know, it, it, the, for this team going forward, the, the more you have a guy you can rely on who is both dynamic enough to shoot, dribble, and pass the ball, and then limits himself to like one or two turnovers per game. That adds an entire – that shifts the offense, and and it, and it makes everything much more flexible. Um, I thought Shake today was, was was fantastic. And one of the things that I keep thinking about is, you know, was was there a fluke aspect to that, to that run he had from January to March? He, he shot over 50% from three all three months on high volume. Uh, his true shooting percentage was through the roof. Um, and I kept thinking, like, is this because they no one scouted him out, so they don't really know what to expect, and that's so they, they they give they they say you know like, prove it, and then he burns them. Today he was not getting open looks. He was he was having to set up his shot quickly. He was stepping in and knocking them down. And I think you know with with, with him, the, the the more consistency and the bigger the better confidence you can get out of him, it's so important. Uh, he did have three turnovers today in twenty minutes, but four rebounds, two assists for to go along with eleven points. Um, I, I don't think you can say enough about Shakeville. He's had a really seamless, painless response to being tested like this. And I, I think it's something that they're definitely happy about going into the regular season, going into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, he put up 10 attempts today, and he only made four three of them or three-pointers, but that production is completely fine with me. If you could get three three-pointers made from your point guard, I'm completely fine with that. And 10 attempts signifies something – deeper than just going four of 10 in a scrimmage game. A thing I've noticed when watching Shake Mellon is his fearlessness in trying to score. He's always dribbling with a purpose. He's looking to score or make a pass that's going to lead to a score. And part of that aggressive attack is something that's going to really help Philadelphia. It's going to alleviate some of the pressure put on Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. If they can kick to their point guard, Shake Milton is either looking to score or create. And I just gave you a reason as to why that's so impactful. Uh, with a player like Josh Richardson, I said yesterday he needs to find his role in this new look five. And I think today was really encouraging because he took a step closer towards that. Uh, of course, can do so many things in the half court, whether it be dribble handoff, whether it be pick and roll. But on a team with a crowded uh, half court where there's a lot of shots to go around for a lot of different players, his game may be relegated to a different type of one-dimensional aspect. It may just have to be off-ball movement. Or it may just have to be coming around screens, things of that sort. So I thought today was a step in the right direction for Josh. And I always talk about how good Glenn Robinson is off ball and and how good of a compliment that is for Ben Simmons. But if you can get that in your starting five from a player like Josh Richardson, it means you have to rely on the bench less and role players less and more on people in your normal five. And I think the more that him and Ben work, there's going to be more chemistry created. And that two-man game is something that's not going to go away either. So Josh will be featured in a two-man game and is going to be with Ben Simmons a lot. So I'm encouraged to see what his new role is. And once he carves that out completely, I, I think the starting five will really have seamless chemistry. For sure. Uh, real quick for the starting five, let's jump over to Tobias Harris. Tobias had a, uh, I guess, a comeback-to-earth game, we'll call it. Nine points, four, rebound, four, four assists, three rebounds. No turnovers in 23 minutes played, which is big for him. Um, he was getting back to that sweet spot, you know, the, the short corner and sort of attacking that and, and making these like floating little jumpers from the baseline, which I, I do like those jumpers. Let me ask you this. Is, is it me or does it seem kind of like no one in the NBA makes it look harder to make a three in game than Tobias Harris does? Despite like, despite the fact that he's like butter during practice and like shoot arounds, but as soon as he gets to the game, it's like, 
damn, that looks hard to do. <laughs> like he makes it look like it's a like it's a very arduous task to make a three point shot. I mean, he he made one today. It was a catch and shoot off of like a off of a uh, you know an around the horn play. But he there was a couple that that that, that were well short of the basket. Uh, and I was just sort of like, is this ball weighted? Are you are you not? Is, is you, do you need like some like mechanical adjustments? Do I need to come in and like teach you something a little bit? Uh, shot doc, of course. Um, but it was like weird, and 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 something that's sort of plagued him all season is the inconsistency with the three point shot. Uh, we think he's at 37 percent for the season now, and um, they're they're going to need him to to, to hit that thirty seven thirty eight percent. And he's done it before. He did it as the number one option in L A. For a team that was that was not bad last year before he got traded, he he, he hit it at like an above forty percent clip, so he can do it. It's a matter of just finding that comfort, and I don't understand why all of a sudden it's to Philadelphia, and he's like literally just won't. I mean, this is, this isn't news. Like I'm not like I, I know we've been talking about this for months, but he his volume of three point shots has gone way down, and I don't I don't get it. I, I, it doesn't make sense to me. So like he. It's it's is it Brett Brown's offense? It's something that I would be disappointed as the seasons go on, and maybe if you get a new offensive system in there and he gets more comfortable, and that number isn't rising up from like three to four a game to like five or six a game. Yeah, and one of the things with Tobias Harris is in Los Angeles and even temporarily in Detroit, he was used in the pick and roll scenario more often than not. That was one of the more frequent areas where Tobias Harris got his point production from. And in Philadelphia, it's completely different. You, you rarely see him in the two-man game. And if you do, it's usually not with complimentary pieces. Uh, for Tobias, I think determining how to completely unlock him is going to be a task that the Sixers have to figure out over this next stretch of, of 10 or so games, including the next scrimmage and the next few regular season games. But with Tobias, you know that baseline jumper is always going to be cash. And if there's a mismatch defensively, Tobias has the basketball. He needs to exploit that, and he does a really good job of doing that. Um, but I, I think the volume of shooting, you know, there's four players on the floor at all times. I said this yesterday that can score and can create and get a bucket at almost any time on the floor for Philadelphia. It's sometimes tough in the half-court set to determine who's going to do what. And a lot of what I saw today was – Sixers players cutting each other off and running in front of each other in transition. I saw Ben cut Glenn Robinson. I, ta- I saw Tobias cut someone off. People are just trying to find their place in the half-court set. And I think that's completely fine. There's groins right now, but I think it's completely fine. I-, I didn't see a lot of movement off ball today as much as I saw the other game. And if you were listening to the home broadcast, Al Abdenami kept talking about three or four guys standing around and watching the player with the ball that's counterproductive for a half-court set in the, on, on offense. But for Tobias, I, I think he's he's widely slept on, and this is a game that doesn't really matter. Uh, defensively, he did a good enough job. I mean, Gallinari only made a couple of shots, and Tobias's assignments were, were pretty obsolete today. So I'm completely fine with it. I think there's good pains, and that's what Philadelphia's experiencing right now. But I think a, a better way to unlock Tobias Harris was would be to use him as a pick and roll ball handler, put him in the main game a little more. I mean, yeah. you you would you agree that like in the half court set, there's there's a lot of, I think like Furkan Korkmaz has more ball handling responsibility now in the half court set. It seems like Matisse and Tobias have more responsibility in the half court set, kind of handling and facilitating. So I was I don't know just if, about to touch on that. <laughs> I don't know if it's it's if if it's because it's the scrimmaging. Or, or what, but it just seems like guys have more responsibility now in the half-court set handling. Yeah, for sure. Um, just looking at the bench now, because we've sort of covered the starting lineup, um, one, and, I, and going off of what you said, I'm going to build off of that, I definitely noticed that Matisse put in work during the quarantine period. He has this little pullback behind-the-back crossover now that he's doing where he'll like – go hard one direction and snap it back to the other yep. side. And it's like behind the back. Now he's not quite receiving it with the other hand. So it's sort of like, it's like a loose ball once he does it, but he's ha- he has the confidence to try it. And I think trying something new in the NBA is, is, is apparently like something that we just don't do anymore. So the fact that he's willing to do it and not afraid of, of, of giving the ball up and, be, and failing is 
a really good sign for him. So I want to see him continue to you know to to go hard when he when he dribbles the ball and then pound it back to one side or you know change directions. Something because if if he could if he could develop like a little you know off the dribble game, that would be a, that would add a whole new dimension like to what to what to what he can be. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he couldn't, he could not dribble to save his life early in the season. I mean, it was like, you had to feed him the ball right at the rim or it was, it yeah. forget it. no chance. You hit him in the corner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now Norvell Pell seems to have made a pretty strong impression on Brett Brown. Um, granted that we know Joel is out today, but Norvell Pell comes in yesterday, uh, Friday, gives you really high energy, uh, plays really well in the in that in the you know the fourth quarter minutes. He's the first guy off the bench today for the Sixers. So I mean, I thought he you know he had a couple blocks. Um, I believe the total amount that he assembled of blocks was four. four. He had four blocks four, yeah. in fifteen minutes. Also had four fouls in fifteen minutes mm-hmm. <laughs> um, with, with with six rebounds. Um, the, the, listen, the guy is going to throw his body at you, and and, and he's not afraid. Either, I mean, he, he 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 contests guys at the rim, and with time with with a little better body control, with a little less of the swinging the the, the knees into guys' groins by accident, and you know um, a little less body contact, he's going to be a really good backup center in the NBA. Um, and you know, I I think he gives them this energy boost and this spark off the bench that they so desperately need, and some flavor to to what's typically kind of like a, what has been to this point in the, in, in the year, a bland team. And, you know, I think his energy was, was really good today. Um, and you know, I, I think they, they sort of, um, you know, they have like sort of the ship, the ship is sailed on Kyle O'Quinn, if not for his career, at least in Philadelphia. I'd agree with that. And I was really pleased with Pell's performance today. I'm not really looking at the four fouls, honestly, because the officiating has been piss poor in the previous two Sixers scrimmages. I mean, these officials seem really trigger happy. I don't know if they're trying to work their way back in a midseason form, but it seems like these officials are are the feds. I mean, they're ready to call anything. And North Pell four blocks, it seems like any game you've watched him, he's gotten a block. So I really can't complain defensively. It, it doesn't get better than putting a seven-foot-plus dude out there at the rim and having them protected. So North Pell defensively doesn't get many complaints to me, of course, uh, from me, the the lateral quickness and the body control are things he could work on. But, like, defensively, I'm not going to nitpick. Offensively, I can't say the same. I think he's he's a better replacement for Kyle O'Quinn as a center on the floor. And I think having a backup center matters, especially given the health of Joel Embiid and maybe even Al Horford. Uh, But let's – let's dial it back a little bit Sixers fans. I think that the, the lineup that I saw to conclude the first quarter of this game was arguably one of Brett Brown's greatest creations because I haven't seen a lineup much worse than that. It was Milton, Corkmaz, Thibel, GR3, and Pell, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I read, I read your post game article and I laughed when you talked about that lineup because you were like, I hope not, I hope we're never subject to why like I hope we never have to see that lineup again. And I felt the oh same way. <laughs> it, it, I understand why Shake Milton didn't play much in the second quarter because he played the whole first, but like you can't roll that five out. No one can score. <laughs> no one no one in that five can score. It was it like like so they for those who haven't read the article, um three minutes, twenty-nine seconds of playing time they got. That they scored four points and all four came from Glenn Robinson the third. They gave up seven points. Um, so, I mean, neither lineup was blowing the doors off of anybody. But that, but those five men together for, for three minutes twenty nine seconds could only find their way to four points. One of which came on a free throw. Free throw. So, <laughs> like, what? exactly. What? Like, what? It's it's a creation. I don't it, know. So oh you've got God. you've got of that five, you probably have two legitimate offensive threats with four other capable players on the floor. Uh, given that combination of five, I just don't know offensively what they're capable of because Matisse Thibel isn't creating his own shot at the moment. Glenn Robinson is more of an off ball player than he is on ball. 
Shake Milton, I mean, he's a good enough point guard to blend in with the Sixers starting five, but I don't know if he's capable enough to be at the forefront of his own five and, and still offensively do everything. So I wasn't expecting much from him out of that. And even Furkan Korkmaz, it seems like he has more dribbling and shooting responsibilities now than he ever had, but I don't think he's a good enough offensive player to exist on his own independently. So that start, not starting five, that five that Brown rolled out, I don't know what it was, but I, I, I think we can mutually agree that we both hope to not see it again. Yeah, and I mean, even if, like, 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 let's say I'm the coach of the Sixers and I'm trying to fit, like, like th- th- this period should be used as, like, a, a practice quiz for these guys. I even said that in the article. It's a practice quiz. And, you you know, if you're going to roll out a lineup of, of Milton, Korkmaz, Thibault, Robinson III, and Pell, something that you would never dare do in an actual NBA game because you'd be fired. Um, he did it against the Raptors. Did he really? You know, I got to find this lineup. I gotta find this lineup because this was brutal. This well, was brutal. Well, well my, my point still holds though. Like, yeah, continue. You shouldn't be looking to run your normal offense with that lineup. You should be using that to see how it would look if you just say, you know what, Jake? We've seen you go harder to the rim twice. This is your lineup. You do what you want to do. You if you want to pull up, you want to take step back threes. You want to, you know, you, you want to facilitate. You want to run pick and rolls to death. Go for it. But let's just see what Shake Milton can do as a ball handler. Let's not run like the typical offense that we would run with our normal players who were going to play together. This lineup should never touch the court. So th- that's the kind of lineup you throw out there, and you're like Shake, or like you know, guys, like this is the, this is the Shake lineup. Just spread the floor. If he hits you, he hits you. But we're but we're here to test and see what he can do, you know, with 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 the full control of the offense. And I know that that sort of is like a weird way of doing it for some. But those are the kind of of looks and and questions that you need to ask and have answered during these scrimmages to figure out what you really have in certain guys that you don't know everything about yet. Um, so the fact that like the ball wasn't in Shake's hand a hundred percent of the time with that lineup. I thought it was really stupid and, and weird because, like, you got you you proved nothing with that lineup. You wasted three minutes twenty nine seconds. You didn't prove anything. You didn't learn anything new about your guys. <laughs> like, so, like, like, what was the point of it? Um, let's go over to the second quarter. They opened up with Alec Burks, who continues to take sort of he he played he played a bigger role today, um, but I, you know I, they opened up with Burks, Thibel, Simmons, Harris, and Horford. Um, and I, you know, they did what you talk about. They used that Simmons, uh, Simmons, Burks pick and roll a lot um, with Simmons as the screener, and Burks really injected a lot of life into that pick and roll. He 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 scored a couple points early with it, um, and you know, he was really engaged. And I think with 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 those pieces off the bench, you really had to make it a point to find ways to engage them early when they begin to play, or else you're going to lose them fast. And then they're not going to be effective for a whole game. So the fact that they start out second quarter with Burks and 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 the first thing they're doing is we're going to run we're going to pick and roll him to death with with him, and they got him involved early, and then he kind of played with a passion to him, like he like he like he wanted to be there, like he cared, and I thought that was that that was big. Yeah, Alec Burks is good in the PNR as a ball handler. He has good vision, and I've said that I think he's arguably the second best ball handler on the Sixers team. So, for him to be put in that situation, it's only going to be beneficial. And you couple that with Alec Burks being one of the most efficient scorers this season in pull-up shooting and off of dribble handoffs, I think it's only going to benefit Philadelphia more involved. And today, he did a really good job proving that he can be a team player. When he shares the floor with a player like Ben Simmons, he understands his role. At least now he does. And I think he bought into the offensive scheme today more than I've ever seen him. The last time I saw him as effective was against Milwaukee when he was traded to Philadelphia. It was one of the first three games, I believe, when he had a really good showing and he was playing alongside the Philadelphia uh, starters. Um, I think the best thing you need out of Alec Burks is to get the most effective team shots the right team pass because he can't just be playing street ball. And that's what the broadcast said. Brett Brown almost equates Alec Burks' game to street ball. 
And that was the problem with Trey Burke. While they're good zone busters, street ball doesn't necessarily benefit the entire team. Today, what I saw from Alec Burks was that he was taking smart team shots and making smart team passes when he shares the floor with those types of players. And then when he is leading the second unit or the third unit, he is the offensive focal point. And that's everything Burks. For sure. I completely agree with you. Um, so we should note that Glenn Robinson the third played seven minutes in this game. He did leave early with a, a hip pointer. Um, I don't know if that's just a fancy way of saying bruise or something like that. Sounds like it's painful. Uh, I know when I like you ever like snapped your hip on something hard, like an appliance yeah. or a piece of furniture, mm-hmm. and you get that like that that like that like like that breathtaking it's like a dead pain. Leg. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like a breathtaking pain for like a couple seconds and then it goes away. That looked like it was a painful collision. I mean, he mm-hmm. he, he hit uh was who was it? It was was it Diallo? He hit Diallo. Yeah, I think it was Diallo. Yeah, he hit the he hit him really hard. Um so hope he's okay. Um, and he isn't on the day-to-day list too long. The Sixers are picking right back where they left off, though, with losing guys to injury really early on. Um, let's let's talk about the fourth quarter a little bit. Sixers were up by 24 in this game. Thunder missed 17 threes in a row. Um, they then hit one, then they hit like three or four in a row, and they got right back into the game, chilled by 11 going into the fourth, and they eventually – win that quarter by uh, 16 to win the game. Um, but in the fourth quarter, it was uh, a lineup of Mike Scott, Shayok, Quinn, Theibel, and Korkmaz throughout. And um, I, I, there was, first of all, big offensive numbers right there. Massive lineup. Yeah. Scoring. If you bet the over in that quarter, I apologize. That's, that's a tough loss. Um, you should have your basketball card revoked if you bet yeah. on that lineup to, to produce anything. Um, there was a Mariel Shayok, Mike Scott pick and roll, and it worked. <laughs> like, like, like Shayok feeds Scott for like a little short jumper, and I'm like, "Ooh, this is gonna be way off." And he just nails it, and you're like, "You're thinking, like, what the hell is going on here?" Um, but it was interesting to see like a Mike Scott, Mariel Shayok pick and roll. When, when, if you thought that would be be used in an NBA game. You might you might think that things went incredibly sour this season with how with with, uh, with the way things went, um, but I, I I gotta say I would I would like to see more Shayok because I think, I think he has <laughs> I see you disagree um, I I I think he has like this sort of natural dribble package to him where he can court, sort of create his own shot and he it becomes it becomes to him very second naturely and so I think if he can actually play his way onto an NBA court and earn minutes, I wouldn't mind that because I think he can, I think he's, there's something there that's worth testing. Obviously he, he he's very quick to take jump shots. Um, a couple broke this, broke the logo on the backboard. They were, they were also off, but I do think that he has some shit to him. And I think he, I think he can play um, at least worth testing out for a couple minutes here and there to see if there's anything worth, uh, you know, worth using. But he definitely has an offensive package I think is worth exploring in the future. I think this is a low-risk, high-reward project that the 76ers should explore. Uh, And what I saw from Shaq in the G League this season, like you said, he does a really good job of creating space and further shooting when he gets that space. He's a good shooter. He's a skilled finisher. And he has a really unique package for somebody that's in the G League. He has a package that you would assume would translate at the professional level. He spent – I believe he, he he spent his entire four years at college, so he's a 25-year-old rookie. 26. And he's a guy 26, so if you groom him, thrive and, and he capitalizes on that, I don't see why he couldn't be a rotation player. But it's far too early. I, I'm going to almost negate myself because I just gave you that he stayed in college. But even with Shake Milton, a guy that carved himself out a role and crafted his game, and spent time doing that. It took him a year or two to to finally be able to ready to to be ready to play at the NBA level. With Shayok, I saw nervousness out of him. I saw something very similar to what I saw when Zaire Smith was given any professional minutes. Just this nervousness, almost like the nine other players on the floor were far more athletic than anything you've seen in your time in the G League, and you were almost like like so so giddy and nervous that you didn't know what to do on the floor. 
I thought Shaq wanted to shoot every time I saw it. Every time I saw him with the basketball, it looked like he wanted to shoot, and it just didn't turn out like that. He just I would too if I were the NBA. I'd, I'd be I'd be throwing that shit up from thirty five feet out. <laughs> All right, well, you'll find your ass back in the G League in a week. Not if I'm hitting. Not if I'm but, hitting them. Yeah, you're right. Um, but I I just thought it, it it was nervousness, and that's to be expected. So I'm. I'm okay with waiting a little bit for Shayok, but in the fourth quarter, Shake Melton didn't play. Furkan Korkmaz in seven minutes didn't hit a shot. Thibel in six minutes didn't hit a shot. Pell in two minutes didn't hit a shot. Alec Burks to a seven. Mike Scott to a five. Shayok oh a three. Kylo Quinn to a four. This is all in the fourth quarter. Um, sounds like a good. Sounds like a really like a scorcher of a quarter. <laughs> sounds like you turn the TV off and go watch the Phillies game or something. Which is also abhorrent. That's a different yeah. story. Uh, so in the fourth quarter, I wasn't really watching the game too closely. Like I said, Philadelphia took their foot off the gas in the third. This is just a scrimmage. You, you, you'd like them to experiment a little bit more, but I'm not reading into this any more than I had to. Uh, the fourth quarter, I just watched it because it's Sixers basketball. The, the, the players on the floor won't even see the floor in the playoffs, so I'm not, I'm not too worried about it, some of them at least. Yeah, I mean, the, people are like, this is a coaching thing, a year in, you know, you know we see this, like, Dude, they weren't even playing the actual players. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like they, they, the starters dominated the first half, owned the first half. They don't. They, you don't want to have a Gordon Hayward incident in, in, in a preseason or in a, in a scrimmage game before you even touch the floor for a real game. They, this is the first time that they've even come close to being healthy all the way through since like the first week of this of the actual of the normal season, and you're worried about them blowing the lead with the third stringers against the third stringers? Like, Listen, who do you think was the leading scorer both teams combined in the fourth quarter? Oh, I got to say probably like, Luke, like Mike, uh, Mike Muscala, I'll say. Mike Muscala, okay. <laughs> the leading scorer. Behind him, Alec Burks. Then behind Alec Burks, Andre Robertson. If you're worried about Mike Muscala and Andre Robertson beating your team in the fourth quarter, there's more things to worry about. This isn't something that I'm, I'm reading into. Austin, you seem pretty calm and level-headed about it. So uh, this fourth quarter is something to disregard. But the first three looked really good for Philadelphia. Yeah, I, I mean, it was <laughs> like seeing Mike Muscala out there. <laughs> it's a lot of star power, I see. Yeah. Um, um, now, I do want to – we'll give Sad a Carlo. Um, thank you for tuning in. Appreciate it. Um but you know, it, I do. I do want to see like a little bit of, I guess, what a closing lineup would look out. And I thought maybe there might have been some opportunity there to experiment with how you even go about closing a game out with, with this group. Um, my guess is, you know, I, I think they would give some minutes to Thiable in that spot. Um, but you know, I also wanted to think like I wanted. I was looking for some sort of offensive strategy for when OKC was going on their run. Like, do you, do you throw that ball into the post and, and, and let, and let Horford, you know, sort of stop the bleeding? Do you give it to Milton? And it was just a bunch of frantic chickens with their head cut off. So even if it fails and you still blow the lead and lose the game, at least have some sort of playbook at, at, in, in, in implemented where there's a system there. There's a strategy there. It isn't like, okay, you just go, go, you know, play 21 every man for himself, um, which, you know, I think is something that they're going to have to eventually have to eventually show. They're, you're not going to have blowouts every game. And even when they do have blowouts, they still blow the lead. <laughs> so, so, I mean, they, they have to, they, they have to have, they have to implement something where, okay, this is how we're going to keep, keep them at bay. This is how we're going to shut them off. Stay active in the past lanes, create transition opportunities, and instead of letting them up for air, we step on their throats, and then we like okay. turn, we turn our feet, you turn their feet, and that's it. They're done. I think they did that for for two and a half, three quarters. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to the Dallas game because Dallas is a team with a lot of size, and they previously implemented a two-three zone against Philadelphia. So I'm excited to see what happens when the two of them match up. Yeah, Carlo has a question for us. Uh, yep. Who do you think has more chances between the Phillies going to the postseason to win it all? I don't know if I even believe the Phillies are a postseason team. 
uh, to be to be truthful. I mean that wow. that bullpen, that bullpen wow. is that bullpen is a joke and a half. Two they, games they, in, and and we're already casting them out. They left how many guys on? They had bases loaded how many times today? Uh, what was it? Three or four? Three, three times? innings. Three, three innings. Games. They had bases loaded. They got not a single run in on it. The that's, bullpen. That's, uh, Velasquez gave up four runs in 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 the in the inning immediately after, you know, uh, getting a four run lead. Bullpen comes in, they give up seven. So I mean, I have absolutely no confidence in this team whatsoever. If 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 they win, if they win twenty five games, it'll I will be, I'll be I guess I'll be. That's all we're giving them twenty five. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Who's gonna throw the ball for them? Who can pitch besides Noah Wheeler, uh, Spencer Howard, who hasn't even made his MLB debut yet? Soon, though, uh, after Velo's performance, they expect that soon. And, and they don't hit anything. They don't hit okay. anything. Well, 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 Carlo, let me answer your question here. I think the Sixers have a higher chance of winning, winning it all, and, and I would love for the Philadelphia 76 to win the finals. But this season, I honestly don't care. I, I don't care what the outcome of the playoffs is for either team because I can't celebrate it. I want to go to the parade. I want to hang out. I want to be able to celebrate the victory. If I have to just sit in my house, dap up my dad, they want it all. Let's pack it in for the night and head to bed like it never happened. And record a podcast about it. Hello. Yeah, yeah, we could do that. We could we could do that too. But I'd rather be celebrating. I'd I, I want to be on Broad Street. December's my birthday, right? I'll be 21. I can start using King Cobras. I want to be down there partying, but I can't. So I don't care who wins the finals this year. I don't care who wins the World Series. But if I had to give you my honest answer, I think it's the Sixers. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think the Phillies are making the playoffs this year. Um, Brock, any parting shots? I I don't have any today. Uh, maybe maybe when we play Dallas. Uh, who knows? We'll see what happens. I well, I, I do want to say one more thing. People are like, yeah. oh, my God, Embiid's, like, on the verge of death. Like, the dude hasn't played basketball in four months. It's hot as hell in Orlando. Yeah, that's a factor. And it's his first time playing a scrimmage. He's seven foot two, over 250 pounds. It's, like, the most – expected thing in the world for him to have a little bit of leg soreness after playing. I'd much rather them and that the fans should definitely much prefer them to be, to be cautious and rest him as opposed to saying, Oh, he's fine playing him and then have it become significantly worse. The leg is not going to fall. He looked, he was in the bench today laughing and, 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 you know, uh, chatting it up with his teammates. When, when you have a significant injury, the guy isn't out there having a good time with it. So, Go ahead. I, I just – I don't like that people are using this as an opportunity to say that he's injury prone or he can't maintain any good health. It's literally a scrimmage. How many people are watching the scrimmage, let alone how many people care about it? I think it's 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 a few things, Austin. You definitely touched on a couple of them. You got to revamp him. The weather matters. And another thing I think is is a possibility is that the previous two times that he and Adams have met each other – it's been a physical matchup. The first game, I, I believe, missed plus shots. And the second, he missed eight plus shots when defended by Steven Adams. So it was bound to be a physical game. If he had any discomfort or any soreness, there is absolutely no reason to risk that. So I'm completely fine with this move, and I don't think this should be a reflection of Joel Embiid's health. For sure, I agree. There's somebody who was like, Embiid's injured already, and I'm like – Oh, he needs to. Have, oh, there's a limit restriction on. Oh, there's a minute restriction on how many minutes he can play before he can eligibly be hurt. Like, 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 like what are we talking about? You can get hurt at any time. It doesn't matter how what kind of shape you're in. Injuries happen. They're injuries. Derrick Rose was an MVP. He was. He he was. You know, a, a point guard, super athletic, very good shape. Hold on, hold, on, hold on. Hold on. Are you giving Tom Thibodeau five years? Are you giving this man a five-year contract? Is is this who you're you're letting him steer the ship? What? The New York Knicks. Oh yeah, remember a couple of months ago when I said that? Like, like I, I I don't know if you saw this, but I had I had a report that the Knicks were were, were the, the that Thibodeau was the overwhelming favorite. 
to, to, to be the next head coach. The very next day, they 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 um they, they hire Wes, you know, uh, Robot Wes, and yeah. he is a part of CIA. And then I was like, this clears the way for Thibodeau. Crickets. Yesterday, boom, Thibodeau, head coach of the Knicks. I had that shit first, mark it down, count it, and the foul. Um, did you notice that Dalinari today looked obscenely out of shape? He looked like <laughs> he, he looked was like- winded. He looked like he and Jokic like switched bodies. I didn't like what? his hair either. I didn't like his hair either. He he did he did look noticeably unathletic. Like I counted three or four times he hit the deck, and that's usually what Joel Embiid is doing. So uh, somebody else was doing that today. It was Gallinari, and he did look noticeably he did look noticeably a little fluffier. He was eating some of that gnocchi they got over there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like like his free throws were well short. His threes were heavy, flat, and long, and he was missing layups. Like, and they were bad misses. It was, there was anything in his way. It was like I'm gonna flop, I'm gonna flip this shit against the underside of the rim and watch it, watch it hit the ground hard. I think he went too late. He was too late. Like he and Jokic switched bodies. It was Freaky Friday. They seemingly switched bodies during the during the pandemic. Um, Brock, any last words before we go? Once again. Uh, make sure make sure to stay up to date with what Brock Landis and Austin Krell are doing. That's all I have to say. That's right. He's Brock Landis, Landis Brock on Twitter. I am Austin Krell, Krell TPL on Twitter. Be sure to subscribe. Um, be, sure, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Pods. Leave a review, hopefully five stars. Um, and as always, thank you for listening to the Feed and Beat. Thank you for tuning in live. Um, take care, everybody. Have a good night. Stay safe. <laughs> what? Is the 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 last comment in the chat? <laughs> I seriously like I don't know why you lied him for five years too. Like the the Timberwolves sucked. He ruined the Bulls. Like if you want a culture change, I understand that you could have gone younger and more progressive than Tom Thibodeau. Like come on. I think the last comment before we actually have to go. I think this leads the way for them to go and draft um, Lamelo Ball. I really do. I think. I think. I, I just have a feeling that they're going to go for the middle ball now. Uh, Brock, take care. Carlo, thank you for your commentary. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Have a good night.